a Galatians series where we're going through the book of Galatians. They said that this was kind of the book of the Reformation because of how important it was to understand that we've been saved by faith through grace in Jesus Christ, not by works so no one can boast. Amen? And so we are going to confront something today, and that is how do we walk the line in Jesus Christ? How do we walk the line and confront sin? Now, when you hear that word, walk the line, how many Johnny Cash fans out there? Walk the line? All right, if you love Jesus, put your hand up. I'm just saying. Man, I love Johnny Cash, and he has that song, Walk the Line, and there's that movie out about him, but he says, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. And I don't know if he knew it, but he's got a little theology. I don't know if he was singing to June or Jesus, but he's got something, amen? He says, and so because of that, you're mine, I walk the line. And so we're going to talk about what does it look like to walk the line, and we're in Galatians today. And so we bring up that first slide because what I want to do is I want to recap something today. Because what you're going to see is a dynamic play out in our scripture verse today that there's some tension And there's this tension where walking the line becomes an issue with what I would consider to be a giant of the faith. And and so we're going to talk about Peter and how Peter started to very kind of work off of the line that God had called him to. We're going to talk about that. Before we do that, just real quickly, this is a snapshot of what the whole book of Galatians is about. Paul talks about legalism, that we find ourselves in religion, that we get caught up with these religious spirits where it's all about what we do, 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 or it's all about what we shouldn't do, shouldn't do, shouldn't do, all about rules and regulations. And he said the minute that we slip down into legalism or the law, we're back under the wrath of God again. Because the only way that we can be made 100% perfect again is to 100% follow the law. And so that's why Jesus came, because you couldn't do it. And so then he says on the other side, though, there's this word called license, where we have a license to do whatever we want. The grace of God says I can do anything that I want to do, even if it's not pleasing to God, even if it's not necessarily God's best, God's grace is going to cover me. So I'm going to chase after my desires, my pleasures, my wants, what makes me happy. We call that the flesh. And the minute that we fall into that side, we're back into the wrath of God again, because again, the word says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, right? And so we find ourselves either going into this place of legalism, do, 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 or don't do, don't do, don't do, or we find ourselves going, I'll do anything I want to do. And so where God says there's freedom or liberty is right in the middle where the Spirit of God comes on you. In faith you receive Jesus Christ, not in your works, in faith you receive Jesus Christ, and he calls you sons and daughters of his, amen? So where we want to be at church is in that sonship, and so we're working towards that. We'll get to that towards the end of Galatians. But where we find ourselves right now is we've got to come to grips with this understanding that by our nature we are broken people. Amen? That by our nature we are broken people, and we need a heart change. Now notice I didn't say a behavior change. We need a heart change, because a heart change will always change our behavior, all right? But a behavior change will not always change our hearts. So we can chase after changing behavior and never have a heart change. But the minute that our heart changes, it'll be evident in how our behavior plays out. And so we've got to come to this place of recognizing, coming to grips with this identity of I'm broken. This is why I need the gospel message. This is why the good news of Jesus Christ is so important that Jesus changes our hearts and he saves us. And it's simply I cannot add to that. There's nothing that I can do to help Jesus save me better. All right? That by my very nature, I was born into sin. I didn't learn how to sin as I got older. 
all right? I wasn't born perfect, and then all of a sudden, as I got to like five, six, seven, eight, nine, I just started watching people sin, and sin entered my life. The minute that I was born, I was born into sin. Amen, church? We good with that? How do I know this? Because you, you just have to watch kids. I didn't teach my kids how to bite if somebody stole their toy, right? I didn't say to my son when he was three, Tyson, somebody just stole your toy. You need to grab their arm and start gnawing on it, right? But something intrinsically within him said, that kid from age two, three years old, he just stole something from me, so I'm going to take his arm and I'm going to bite it, right? And so we didn't teach him to do that. We also, we don't teach our kids to throw temper tantrums. I've never taught my son, hey, look, when something, or my daughters, when something doesn't go your way, throw yourself on the floor and pound, you know, really hard because you didn't get your way. One time I did, it was a K-State game, but that was a long time ago, right? But I didn't show them those things. It's something within their hearts that wells up with them, and no one shows that or demonstrates that. They realize something. I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm going to throw a big fit about it, right? So there's sin from in us from the very beginning. We're broken, we need saved, and there's one gospel of salvation. And this is exactly what Galatians is talking about. There's one way of salvation. Jesus, period. Not Jesus and something. Not Jesus and religious activity, Jesus and going to church, Jesus and praying really, really hard. All of those things add to Jesus, and the minute you add to Jesus, you lose everything. So it's just Jesus, and so this is what Paul's contending with. So we come to this place in Galatians chapter 2, where we begin to see some tension building up now, all right? Because of this, there's tension that's building up, and I just want to read it real quickly. He says, Paul speaking, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. So you got two giants of the faith, Peter and Paul. Paul says, I had to oppose Peter to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. Somebody say hypocrisy. Paul just called Peter a hypocrite, man. He followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, let me tell you what I love about this. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about people-pleasing, but I wanted to re-kind of uh, go after this from a little bit of a different angle that I think we need to hear today. What I love about this church, first and foremost, I'm going to stop there for just a minute. I love this scripture because if I was going to write the perfect gospel message, the perfect scripture, I would leave things like this out, right? But this is why the nature of God's word is so real. The nature of God's word says you've got this guy named Paul who goes after this guy named Peter who's like the rock inner circle of Jesus. And he calls him out and says, look, man, you're not living the right way. You're not walking the line, right? And what I love about it is that if Peter can fall off the trail, we can fall off the trail. And if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for us. Amen? So, so let's go on in verse 14. He says, when I saw that they, Peter and these these Jews were not following the truth of the gospel message. I said to Peter in front of all the others. I like how he doesn't sugarcoat it, right? Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentile follow, uh, Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one, somebody say no one, will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. 
Let me just break down why this is such an incredible scripture verse, and I'm going to go fast today, all right? Let me just break down, because this is a tense moment in the New Testament church. In fact, this may be one of the most tense moments, if you look at church life, this may be one of the most tense moments in the New Testament church, because I'm going to tell you right now, church fights are never pretty. Do I hear an amen to that? I've been a part of the church my whole life. Can I tell you how many fights I've seen over whether or not the piano should be moved a little bit from the stage or whatever? Just stupid. Can we move the refrigerator? And you'd think all hell broke loose, right? Church fights are not pretty because you got people on different sides that are so adamant about whatever sacred cow it is that they have, right? Whatever sacred cow, we can't move that. It's been there for, you know, 1908 when my grandpa put it there or whatever. And so we've had these church fights, and so we see that the same thing is happening here in the New Testament. This is one of the tense moments because they're not doing this behind closed doors. They're actually at a church fellowship supper. Let me just tell you, things can get nasty at potlucks too, all right? So everybody's supposed to be having a good time at this fellowship supper, and all of this is out in the open right in front of everybody. Nothing is private in this moment, but even worse, again, it's between two giants, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Both of them had followers. And so they're kind of having it out in this moment. And the best thing I could think of is when you go to a family reunion and, and Aunt Sally and Aunt Martha stand up and they start arguing over whose potluck is better, right? Whose casserole is better, and all of a sudden you're like, this is not going to go well. And I can just see everybody there going, man, what in the world is happening? So at first glance, though, when we read this, you might be thinking, what's the big deal? Why is Paul getting on Peter's case? Look, the dude doesn't want to have supper. It's not the end of the world. He doesn't want to eat with those guys. It's not a big deal. Just let him do what he wants to do. But it was a big deal to Paul because Peter had gotten off of walking the line of where the gospel message was. You see, in this culture, relationships were built around the dinner table. In this culture, they didn't have kind of the fast food and, and just go through really quickly. Let's stop by QT, get some taquitos. They're always fresh and ready to go, right? That's my advice. Taquitos, quick trip, anybody? All right? They didn't have that. They thought through their meals. Their, their, their relationships were built around the dinner table, so meals were a big deal to them. They took time. They literally had a method of what they were going to do as they brought relationships and who they were going to have around that table. This is why if you remember in Luke 15, the religious leaders were so irritated with Jesus. Look what it says in Luke 15. Tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. So they complained about that, but look what it says at the end. Even eating with them. How dare he do They made such a big deal. It wasn't that he was just talking with them, that he would sit down at the dinner table and have a meal with them, invite them into his life. When you sat down at the dinner table in this culture and that he would be invited into their life, that was a huge thing for them. So their contention with Jesus is that he ate with sinners. Their issue was that he would lower himself to such people. And so this was a big deal in this culture. And I want you to know that. I want you to see the difference. Nobody has ever called me out for eating at Applebee's with Lowry. And we know he's a sinner. Amen? (laughs) Nobody's ever said, look, Aaron, I saw you at Applebee's with Lowry. And so we're leaving the church and we're taking our church membership and this pen, right? No one has ever made a, because we don't care about those things. We don't care who you eat with or who you don't. But it was big in this time. And so 
It's not that big of, big of a deal in our culture, but it was huge to them. So what you have is Peter was good with eating with group, this group of Gentiles. He was good with it until some of these Jews arrived who were believers. They believed in Jesus, but they also added law into their belief. And so he was afraid of what they might think. Notice the scripture says, it's not what they said to him, it's what they might say to him. And we've talked about the people pleasing a couple weeks ago. So Peter pulls back of what he knows the gospel message says. The conviction on his heart is, I should be having dinner with these guys. They've been saved just like I've been saved. But he pulls back from his conviction and he goes after his own fears and worries and worldly desire of not wanting to be known as that guy. And so today, what I want to focus on is how do we walk the line in the gospel then? So here's the part that I love. How did Paul call out Peter? Did he, did, did he say, Peter, you are destroying the church. Stop it. That's not what he said. He said, simply said, Peter, let me remind you of what the true gospel is. You see, church, what I love about this in verse 16 is Peter, he's sinning. And he's in hypocrisy. Paul doesn't come and put him on blast and say, look, you're destroying the church that God has built. He says, Peter, let me, let me share something with you. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Right, Peter? You remember that? Peter's like, yeah, I remember that. Not obeying the law? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And Peter, do you remember that when we believed in Christ Jesus so, so that we could be made right with God, we didn't have to follow because of the law anymore? We just, we just put our faith in God and it was no longer about law. Peter, do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Peter, do you remember when you were just a stinking fisherman and, and nobody cared about you and you were going to be a fisherman your whole life and you were kind of the bottom of the barrel of the Jews anyways? And do you remember when Jesus came and plucked you out? Do you remember that he came and loved you? Not because of what you did, but because of who you are? He's like, yeah, I remember that. He's like, this is why I'm ticked. Because your convictions of what you know to be true aren't lining up with the way you're walking the line with God. Here's what's fascinating about this. Paul takes this approach because I believe this, church. I believe simply coming against a bad behavior won't necessarily change anything. If I told you today, and I stood up here today and I said, look, drugs are bad, Okay. I don't think I'm going to get a lot of feedback from you going, no, I just disagree. Maybe some of you, right? But, but, but probably not. If I say drugs are bad, stop doing drugs. Some of you are going to go, all right, man, you say that. I'm not necessarily going to change anything, right? I'm not necessarily going to stop doing those just because you tell me. So if I sit up here and tell you, look, that behavior is not going to lead to, to something good, some of you guys might just write it off. But on the other side, what Peter did, or what Paul did to Peter, is he simply backed it with what the true gospel was, that the gospel is hope, faith, and love. So if I sit here and try to change your behavior by saying drugs are bad, some of you may resonate with that, some of you may not. But if I say, look, those things will eventually destroy your life, but God is offering faith, hope, and love that will last forever. Which one do you want? Do you feel good when you're on those? Oh, no, I don't feel good when I'm on those. Let me tell you what you can feel good when you're on Jesus. Amen? And so all of a sudden, we're not attacking a bad behavior. We're simply giving the gospel message of hope, love, and life in Jesus Christ. And so this is how Paul comes and approaches Peter. He says there's a better way. Look what he says in verse 14. When I saw that they were not following the truth, he's talking, about, he's talking about Peter and his companions. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of the others, and that's when he calls him out. I like how the ESV says it. When I saw that their conduct, somebody say conduct, was not in step with the truth of the gospel. 
Let me tell you why I like the ESV version was not in step with the truth of the gospel. The word translated in step with or walk uprightly in the Greek word is orthopodio. And what it means is ortho meaning where we get like the orthodontist. It means straight, okay? And podio means walking. And so you've got this straight walking. They were not straight walking in the gospel truth of who Jesus was. And so Paul's saying, I want to call you back to walking straight again. I want you to walk the line. So he's saying, we've got to start back there again. And so this is where I believe in the word, a person's walk. The word is very clear on this. A person's walk is also their way of life. Amen, church? A person's walk is their way of life, which includes behaviors and attitudes and thoughts and values and feelings. So Paul confronted Peter because he saw that his walk was not in line with the gospel. So he's like, bro, it's time to walk the line. You know the truth. Walk the line. Listen, church, I want you to hear this because I believe it's important. Believing the gospel is not just, listen to me, believing the gospel is not just the way you get into the kingdom of God. James says even the demons believe and shudder in fear. Believing the gospel is also the way you live and make progress in the kingdom of God. It's the way you live and make progress in the kingdom of God. You are called to bring every part of your life in line with the gospel to walk the line. I like how Timothy Keller says it. Timothy Keller says, all our problems come from a lack of orientation to the gospel. Look what he says. Put positively, the gospel transforms our hearts, our thinking, and our approach to absolutely everything. And so he's trying to bring us to an issue here. So Paul's issue with Peter is not that he didn't believe the gospel. Peter believed it. In actuality, Peter's convictions hadn't changed. It's not like Peter said, you know what, I'm going to throw that part out. Because Peter knew what the gospel said. He still believed and knew the Gentiles were saved by faith in Christ Jesus. It's that his actions, church, were not acting in line with what he knew. His actions were not acting in line with his convictions. Do I hear an amen? I'm just going to tell you right now, this is my struggle. (laughs) I have convictions. I know what the Lord has told me. I know what the word says on certain things. And yet sometimes I simply just put those to the side because my actions don't want to line up with those convictions. This is the problem that we run into. And this is the problem that Paul calls Peter out for. It's like, look, I know your convictions are still there. You're just not lining up with them. This is why he got called out for hypocrisy. Notice he didn't get called out for stop believing in the gospel. Hypocrisy means I know what I ought to do, but I do the opposite anyways. Let me just tell you right now, I'm a hypocrite. Do I hear an amen? And I would contend with, you don't have to raise your hand, but that there's a lot of us in this room right here. Because nobody's perfect. And this is why Paul is trying to sit there and say, look, Peter, I know you're not perfect. This is why the grace of God is needed, not law. This is why you don't need to try, because the grace of God covers you even in your hypocrisy, man. Walk the line. So, this is important because actions and conduct matter, not just what we believe. So if his convictions didn't change and it was hypocrisy, what we know is that Peter simply lacked the courage of his convictions. And I would contend that sometimes we lack the courage of our convictions. He still believed in the gospel, but failed to practice it. Listen, church, I want to share with you why I think this is so important and relevant for us today. We need people to help us to walk the line to get our convictions back in line. Do I hear an amen? 
but there's a, there's a struggle in our society that we've talked about in here. Uh, accountability and judgment, okay? So accountability is what we're doing right here. You say yes to Jesus, we believe in Jesus, we're going to hold each other accountable, iron sharpens iron. Judgment is when I'm a believer and I go up to a non-believer that's never encountered the hope and love and power of Jesus Christ, and I say, you need to change what you're doing, and they're going, you don't even know who I am, man, right? So I'm judging that person because I don't even know who Jesus is. But accountability is, you know Jesus? Yeah. You know he set you free? Yeah. You know he calls you to a higher standard? Absolutely. I know Jesus. I know he set me free. I know he's called me to a higher standard. So let's do this higher standard together. That's accountability. Amen? So let me tell you why I love this so much. Because I want to surround myself and invite men, guys, into my life that will help me when I get off the rails to get back online again. I want men and guys to come in. It's a very healthy thing that we have people in our life that come into our life like Paul did to Peter and say, look, bro, walk the line. You're off the rails. Many great leaders and many great believers have fallen because of lack of accountability in their life. If Peter... The apostle Peter, the rock, if Peter was to forego and, 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 and Paul was like, I'm not going to call him out, I'm not going to say anything, it's Peter, just let him do his thing. If Paul would not have called him out, who knows what could have happened to Peter down the road. If he was allowed to do that, who knows what he would have fallen into down the road. This is why I have guys in my life. We, we, look, we've got a Monday night guys group, a Thursday uh, morning guys group. We've got um, life groups. We, we've got women's groups. We've got a Thursday morning. We'll have a Thursday evening. We've got life groups because of this very reason. Because this right here isn't going to do it for us, church. Amen? This doesn't constitute church because we gather together on a Sunday morning from 1045 till definitely 1215. All right? This this does not constitute of saying, now I've been held accountable. This, it just doesn't happen. What about Monday through Saturday? And so the reason that we go to these accounts, I don't care if it's one-on-one or with groups, whatever, but the reason that we do it is because somebody needs to help to make sure that my actions and my conduct are lining up with my convictions so that I walk the line. This is why on Monday night, I'll just use that group for an example, 15, 20 guys get down together in Lowry's basement, okay, on a Monday night and start sharing hearts and feelings and struggles and what we're going through. We break the word open and the word is pouring out and we've got 15, 20 guys down there sharing hearts with one another and there's not even football on right now. That's not normal. You go into the world and you say, hey man, you want to get in a basement and just like study the word and share hearts with one another in the world standards? They're going, you're really weird, man. So you've got these guys that are coming together saying, we want to walk the line. We want accountability. This is why it's so important to have it in our life. Because it's so easy to drift. And you could argue that it's not just easy to drift. You could argue that it happened to Peter and so many great leaders. And you could argue that it's probably going to happen to you at some point in time. And if you don't have somebody to pull you back to the line, then you may just drift off. Let me just tell you, church, why I think this is so important because, and I want to get this, nominal Christianity, nominal means in name only. (laughs) Nominal Christianity, I call myself a Christian in name only. Nominal Christianity or a life filled with hypocrisy. Not that you don't believe what this says, it's just simply that you believe it and don't necessarily, you know, have convictions to do what it says. Nominal Christianity or a life filled with hypocrisy is contagious and easy to fall into. Amen? There are ways that I know that I'm not lining up completely with what I say and believe in Jesus. I'm telling you that. That's not just me. I'm confessing that to you. 
as your pastor, I'm confessing there are things where the Lord, he's like very clear, like in his word, like do this, do this, you know, kind of a thing. And it's not legalistic because I don't feel like if I don't do it, I don't feel like he's going to like scorn me. So it's not a legalistic thing. It's just that my, my convictions of what I believe the word says, and all of a sudden my conduct doesn't always line up with it. And I, I don't want that. I want to line up with it. And how I know this to be true is you look at Peter's life. When Peter's eyes were fixed on Jesus, Peter was a giant for the kingdom of God, church. But the moment that he took his eyes off of Jesus, he becomes bumbling Peter that we like to make fun of. Amen? You think about two instances. Peter gets out of the boat. You remember the walking on the water instance? You should because it's pretty big, right? So Peter gets out of the boat. God, he's, his eyes were fixed on Jesus, very specific. His eyes were fixed on Jesus, didn't see anything around him. He's walking on water. I still can't fathom that in my life. He's walking on water, but do you remember what it says? He started to notice the waves were getting big, and the wind was blowing, and he started to glance around at the wind and the waves, and when he lost his contact with Jesus, he got off the line. He was on a beeline to Jesus, and he took his eyes off, and he started to wander off. The minute that his eyes came off Jesus, he sank. Then Jesus is sitting around with him at the table, Last Supper, and if you remember, Jesus like, look, I'm getting ready to go. My life is getting ready to end. Then I'm going to raise from the dead. They don't know this, all that kind of stuff, right? It's a beautiful picture of what he's going to do. And Peter goes, Lord, I'll never abandon you. Lord, I'll never run from you. Lord, I will always stand firm. I'm going to use this terminology, paraphrase. Lord, I will walk the line no matter what. Nobody will sway me off the line. Jesus is like, mm, don't say that, man. Three times you're going to deny me. Peter's like, never, Lord. Never. His eyes were fixed on Jesus. Jesus gets arrested and taken away. Somebody comes and says, you knew Jesus. Nope, not me. Somebody comes up, you knew Jesus. I don't know the man. Somebody comes up and says, you knew Jesus. He's like, listen, man, I have no association with him. Rooster crows, we know the story, right? Why? Because his eyes were no longer fixed on Jesus. Church, listen, if Peter and Barnabas can drift away from the gospel, then we certainly can in our own life as well. If they can drift away, knowing that it's still true, but drift away, we can as well too. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. There's two parts to that scripture. When our eyes are fixed on Christ, not only does he author your faith and give you salvation, but there's a second part. He perfects it too. Helping us to walk the line. He's the author. He gives us life and he perfects that life to walk the line. So somehow we have to get our eyes back on Jesus. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 3. He confesses, look, not that I've obtained all this, not that I've been made perfect, but I'm striving, I'm pressing on, I'm setting my eyes toward the prize which heaven has called me towards, I'm setting my eyes on Jesus, but he says it, not that I've already done it, I've not been made perfect, I vary, sometimes I fall off that line, I've got people that have to bring me back in. Because when our eyes come off of Jesus, we're going to walk off of that line. I've got a practical way that I want to show this to you today and because uh, some of you guys are going so what does this mean on a practical basis and so I'm going to show it to you with this ladder if I can and I think that sometimes if this ladder were to represent your life and this is you know your pinnacle up here is that sometimes what we do is we pretend like this first step means everything 
Like if I can just, if I can just get on this first ring and, and if I can just marry the right person, if I can just find the right person, then life's going to be good, all right? And then we keep our eyes on the second step. If I can just get that right job, you know, the job that pays enough, pays the bills, gives me a little bit of extra, what am I kidding, a lot extra, right? If I can just get that job, then life is good. And then, man, an all-American family, I've got to have certain things and I've got to have certain nice things in my life, so I want that nice house. If I can just get to that nice house, I'm going to get to there. And we just keep going. If I can just, if I can just 401k, if I can get to that 401k in retirement, then I'm going to be good. And so the whole time, our life is simply focused on one ring at a time. And we're asking ourselves every time we're focused, why is my life out of balance? Why am I crashing at this level? Why am I crashing at this level? Why am I crashing at this level? I'm trying to balance it, God, but I I try to walk the line and I, I feel like I fall off my balance. And I'll tell you why, church, because our eyes aren't on the prize. Jesus is the prize, amen? And so I listened to this illustration with this, and he said, look, it's darn near impossible. I told the band to get back last time on this. It's darn near impossible for me to balance this thing with my eyes on that bottom ring, okay? Okay? Now, It's very possible for me to balance this if I take my eyes off of that bottom ring and I fix my eyes on the prize, which is the top. Now, why is that so important? Not because I could be in a circus, amen? It's important because it's such an amazing illustration that when my eyes are simply right here, I've got to have this, I've got to do this, whether this is I've got to do, 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 or I've got to try, 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 I'm going to fall off the line. If my eyes are on this and it's all about my pleasure, my wants, my desires, I'm going to fall off the line. But when my eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith, I can balance the things in life, not because I'm balancing those, but who's balancing those? He is. So everything begins to fall into alignment. The things that I desire in my heart, God wants to grant us the desires of our heart as long as our heart is his heart. So he's going to balance those things. You see, church, for Peter, he just needed to fix his eyes on the right thing. He knew the gospel was for the Gentiles. He knew they had been saved by faith alone. But he was so worried about everything else in life. So Paul says, look, man, walk the line. Your convictions are there but your conduct is not lining up with those. So church, we're going to close out in this song, and I know that we've gone a little bit long today, but I'm praying that starting today, some of us can begin to walk the line again. You want to know why life is out of balance? Our eyes are on the wrong place. So let's set our eyes on the right place and walk the line with Jesus Christ. Father, today I'm praying for the person out there today that they would know Jesus. This isn't like, oh man, line up with your convictions. You better walk the line or else. God, I pray that they would hear it in the way that Paul shared it with Peter. Oh, there's something so much better for you. Peter, do you remember when you were saved? Do you remember when God swooped down and plucked you from the mud of the lake that you were fishing in? Do you remember when you were just barely making it and God said, man, just follow me? And you were like, what should I do? And he says, nothing, just follow, just put your eyes on me. Do you remember that, Peter? And Peter says, yes, I remember that. 
then why chase away? Why run away from that? Why chase something else? Today, God, somebody out there needs to hear that. This isn't a conviction on the heart. Don't walk the line because you feel judged. Don't walk the line because you feel pounded. Walk the line because Jesus says there's something so much greater for you. So today, Father, I pray that over every heart in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We got to stand. We're going to close out with this last song.